come to the scripture now. Let me ask you please to bow in the presence of God. Uh, Father in heaven, we've just been singing uh, that we will give you all of our worship. Uh, That, of course, isn't completely true. Uh, We know ourselves better than that. It may be our desire to give you all of our worship. We We may know that you deserve all of our worship and our attention. Uh, But yet, God, we know that we don't give you that uh, because of our sin, and we're sorry about that. We pray that you would help us uh, to give you increasingly to all of our worship. And now as we come to this word, we pray that we would worship you by listening, by thinking, by uh, paying attention, by appropriating the truth of this word. God, we know that there's all kinds of things that will uh, come in our minds and, and will try to distract us from thinking this through. But I pray that you'll help us and give us strength, strength of mind, strength of soul to hear this word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you please to turn to Acts in chapter 13. The book of Acts, uh, chapter 13, please. I want to read verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of God. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manian, a member of the courts of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hands of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, as we're making our way through the book of Acts, this this starts a a different section, a new section for us. Because thus far we've been been seeing the gospel spread in a rather organic kind of way. Um, It begins, of course, with Jesus telling his disciples that they're going to receive power from the Spirit. And when they do, they'll be his witnesses. And and that's his declaration to them. They're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And and we've seen that take place. 
We saw in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 were converted. Uh, and then as the gospel began to move through Jerusalem, we saw it when persecution came at the stoning of, after the stoning of Stephen and, and, and the church was scattered uh, throughout Samaria and other places. And the gospel went out through them as they just took it as a, uh, along the way as they shared. And, and even as Philip was able to preach in Samaria, and we remember all of that. So, so the gospel is being spread. And then with Peter seeing this vision that uh, convinced him Uh, that he was to go to this household of Cornelius, this Gentile, which was unthinkable, to take the gospel to them. So so all of that has taken place. And the church has expanded, uh, not only in the face of some persecution, but also in the face of hypocrisy, in the face of administrative problems, in the face of complaining, and and all kinds of things. So the gospel is spread. And so, so Luke is laying all of this out for us to encourage us, to say, this is your life. This is what your life is to be. This is the life of the church where the gospel is going out and the church is being built and the kingdom of God is being manifested in various places. This should be normative for you, this, this kind of gospel spreading. This is what you should be looking forward to in the, course, in the course of your days and in the course of life. shouldn't surprise us uh, because it was the mission of Jesus, as he put it, to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said, I haven't come to condemn and come to judge in this coming, but I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and thus to us as well and said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so if Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, then we're to seek and to save that which is lost as well. Now clearly, Jesus had a bigger role to play than we do. He's the one who actually brought salvation for those who would believe. We simply introduce people to him and he saves them. But still, in that sense, we're to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what we see happening in the book of Acts. Whether uh, voluntarily, rather reluctantly, whether because of persecution, whatever the, whatever the, 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 the impetus, if you will, they were telling people about Jesus and they were seeing the lost being saved. That was happening in this world. But now we come to a, a situation where, where, where the church is being established and now God is calling out various ones to go, to be sent. And thus he does with Saul and Barnabas here. Uh, there's a gathering of the church. And in the gathering of the church they're worshiping and they're fasting, which is an interesting thing because, because it gives the impression that fasting was part of the normal course of events. I mean, I suppose it could be said that right now we're worshiping and fasting because none of us are really eating, uh, but none of us are really fasting, probably, unless you skip breakfast on purpose. Uh, You probably just, if you skip breakfast, did because you slept too late. Um, Or you're not in college and didn't go to the great college Sunday school lunch, or breakfast, I mean. Uh, But but we're not fasting, fasting. So in order to fast, somebody has has to sort of organize that. And so it appears as if there was an organized fasting of the whole community. And then, in the midst of that time of fasting, they set, a time, set aside time to worship God. And so in the midst of their fast, they're worshiping God. In the midst of that, the Holy Spirit speaks to them. Now, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit spoke to them. We don't know if it was audible. We don't know if it came through one of the prophets that was listed. He says, the Spirit of God has said, da-da-da-da-da. And, and so they call out in the midst of that by the Holy Spirit, Saul and Barnabas to go to, to be sent out. Again, no surprise that it was Saul and Barnabas. I mean, God had saved Saul, 
in order to go to the Gentiles. Remember back in chapter 9 and verse 15, uh, this is what Ananias, the servant of the Lord who goes to Saul after he's uh, knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus and blinded, uh, the Lord says to Ananias, go to Saul, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so God had already set apart Saul in order to go to the Gentiles. In fact, the way that Paul puts that, Saul, whose name becomes Paul, the way he puts it about his own conversion in Acts 26 is like this. And he's, he's speaking about his conversion. Uh, verse 15, And I said that as Paul said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you've seen me and to those which, in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So, so he had already been set apart for this work by God. And God had said to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and open their eyes. That is, with this gospel and the power of the Spirit, I want you to open their eyes so they can see. And he said, so that they may turn then from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And so there's a turning. There's a seeing and then there's a turning, a turning away from darkness to light, away from the power of Satan to the very power of God. And we might think, who's he going to talk to? Just really, 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 really bad people? Those who are in darkness? Those who are under the power of Satan? And the answer is no. He's going to talk to people like you and me before we're converted. Because what describes everyone before they're converted, no matter how bad they may seem in our eyes, is darkness. The light of the gospel, the light of the glory of God, the light of God is not in them, not in us, before we're converted. It just simply isn't. It can't be seen. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul describes people before conversion like this. He doesn't say, you were once in darkness. He says, you were once darkness. You were the personification of darkness. You. No light of God in you at all. You were once darkness. And so Paul's task, Paul's call, is to turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, from the darkness to light, Satan to God. That was, his, that was his calling already. And so it wouldn't be a surprise on this particular day in Antioch that the Holy Spirit would say, I want Paul and Barnabas to go out and I want them to go to these Gentile places. And so he does, in fact, uh, they do, in fact, get called. And then the church affirms that. No surprise. They've seen them. They know them. The church affirms that by laying hands on uh, Saul and Barnabas. Now, I'm not going to talk any more about that, but just to kind of set this up. And to say as well, that this is a very interesting cast of characters, and this church is a very interesting community there. Notice, you've got Barnabas, we know him, he's the son of encouragement, we've encountered him before. Simeon, who's called Niger, so probably from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene. Manian, who is a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, the language there tells us that this man, 
uh, Mannion uh, was raised with this particular Herod in his court. They were probably, he was probably like a foster brother raised in the same household with him, which is a fascinating thing because this Herod the Tetrarch um, was the son of Herod the Great, who was the ruler when Jesus was born. He's the one who killed all the little boys. And then Herod the Tetrarch came after him. He's the one who beheaded John the Baptist and was around during the trial of Jesus. And so notice that these two grow up together. One becomes the one who beheads John the Baptist. The other becomes a follower of Christ. Just stick that somewhere and think about that for a while. But, But my point here is as we work our way through, we see that as Paul and Barnabas go out, they encounter uh, what is very typical of what they're going to encounter, very typical of what we, what we encounter when we go out. In fact, very typical of what we encounter even in the context of our own lives. Notice what takes place. Uh, they, they, there's this man who's the proconsul, like the governor, if you will, uh, named Sergius Paulus. And Luke tells us that he was a man of intelligence. Now, I don't know quite why he tells us that, other than to say, I suppose men of intelligence can have happened to them, what he had happened to to him, and because he was traveling with a magician, uh, a false prophet. And so he's saying to us, perhaps he isn't simply a superstitious man, he really is a thoughtful man, a man of intelligence. So we have this impression of this ruler, Sergius Paulus. And he's heard about Paul and Barnabas. And he's heard about the teaching, thus he's probably heard about the gospel. And he wants to hear it from them. And so even though they have no social standing, they have no political standing, uh, they have an audience then with this governor. And so he calls them. But an opposition arises by this one who's named Bar-Jesus, which is a fascinating name, and Luke gives us nothing about it. Uh, Drives me absolutely crazy. I wish there was like... A book of footnotes. People keep finding all these strange gospel according to whomever. I just want them to find Luke's footnotes to Acts. Uh, it would really be helpful to me. Uh, I assume they're not there, but it'd be nice. But we don't know. We don't know what he's getting at with that. We don't know if that's just his name's Billy Bob, or if if this has something to do with Jesus. We we just don't know. Bar means son of. And so was he touting himself as, 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 as a replacement or a substitute for Jesus or, or one who's saying, listen, I'm, I really have the truth about Jesus. Listen to me. We, we don't know. He said he was a Jewish false prophet. And here is what he had as his goal. Notice verse 8. But Elamis the magician, um, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So all of a sudden you you see the tension, you see the opposition. Paul's calling was to turn people as well. But Paul's turning was to turn them from darkness to light, Satan to God. This false prophet's purpose is to turn them from the faith. That is, to keep them in darkness, to keep them in Satan, if you will. And so you get the sense of that opposition and that will always be there whether it's explicit or not, as we work our way through the book of Acts, because it's really always here. There's always opposition, whether it's violence, or whether it's subtle, or whether it's sweet, or however it is, there's always opposition to the gospel. We're trying to turn in one direction. There's an opposition trying to turn in the other direction. 
right? And so you, you, you get the scene at this point. Now, when Paul confronts him, notice what he says in verse 9. But Saul, he was also called Paul, so he's going to be Paul from now on, which helps me a great deal. Uh, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, so no doubt about where this is coming from, looked intently at him. Uh, I can only imagine what, what the look was. He said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, trickery, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And so here he is, son of the devil, he's calling him, not the son of Jesus. You're an enemy of all righteousness. You're full of deceit. You're trying to trick. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Technically, let me tie something together for you. This will help you. In verse 8, the word that says uh, to turn, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, that word turn and the word crooked are the same word in Greek. Uh, It can mean to turn it could mean to pervert. The reason that it's translated, stop making crooked, the reason it's translated crooked in verse 10, the straight paths of God, is because that's an idiom. So when the word path and straight appear, straight paths, then it becomes sort of a common expression. So to pervert the truth would be the same as saying to make crooked straight paths. Straight paths being truth, right stuff. Crooked meaning to pervert, to pointed in a different direction. Uh, Now, when you hear, when I hear, that little expression that says, make crooked straight paths, I think of two people in the Bible, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, who are very related. The first one is the prophet Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah in chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. This is great. I'm starting to wake up. I got off an airplane last night really late, and so I, I don't know what happened first service, but I'm, uh, this is now good. I'm finally starting to wake up. Whew, that's a good little surge here. All right, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. This is a section of the prophet Isaiah where he's beginning to talk about the comfort of the people, the salvation of Israel, and will begin presenting increasingly uh, a word about the Messiah who is to come. And so now he's speaking, though, of preparation to be made for the Messiah who's to come. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so Isaiah is saying there's going to be one who's going to cry in the wilderness to make preparation because the Lord is coming. And he says that what he'll do is make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That is, he'll make crooked paths, if you will, straight. And then turn to Luke in chapter 3. Luke in chapter 3. And we're beginning to see the one who is coming and thus who came at this point in time to be that voice, to make that preparation, to prepare the way of the Lord. And it's John the Baptist. Verse 3 speaks of him like this. And he went, that is John, 
And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That is, if they're crooked, make them straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so he's saying to them that the way that one makes preparation for the Lord makes, is to make a straight path, to lower the mountains, to fill in the valleys. Now, my daughter Sarah lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania which I thought Boston was the worst place in the world to drive. And I just got back from New Jersey. But Pittsburgh is horrible. And the reason it's horrible is it's filled with crooked roads and mountains and valleys. It's so much easier to drive in Kansas, where the roads are straight and you can see where you're going. You can see where you've come from. You can see to the right and to the left. And if you make a mistake, which I'm prone to do, you can say, oh, I'm just supposed to be over there. And you go around a nice little block, and you're there. But in Pittsburgh, if you say, I've made a mistake, you take this road, who knows where that is going to go? <laughs> because you can't see back, and you can't see over, and you can't see anywhere. Because there are mountains and there are valleys. Now, in heaven, what's going to happen when the new earth, there's going to be this big sound in Pittsburgh. And the mountains are going to go, <laughs> and the valleys are going, to go, and the roads are going to go straight. And all the Pittsburgh people are going, going to say, wow, what happened here? And so that's what John the Baptist was coming to do. He was coming to make the path straight, to turn people from darkness to light, from Satan to God. And what John did in his making the path straight is he talked about repentance. Now, when this Elimus guy, Bar-Jesus, is called a false prophet, he no doubt did what false prophets do. And they do a combination of these one or two things. One is, they say everything's all right when everything isn't all right. And number two, they tell us what we really want to hear. False prophets do that. Notice, for instance, Jeremiah speaks of them in Jeremiah in chapter 6 and uh, verse 13. Jeremiah writes this, From the east... Uh, from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. So he's speaking about false prophets and false priests. Verse 14, he writes, They've healed the wound of my people lightly. All right? Think of a, a metaphor of a deep wound. And you can't heal a deep wound lightly. If you just cover it up, we know what happens to a deep wound. But he says, they've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. That is, they didn't know how to, to be embarrassed by the wrong that they were doing. It just, it just didn't faze them at all. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. 
And at the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown. Ezekiel, in chapter 13 of Ezekiel, speaks of, of the same thing. And he puts, it, uh, he puts it like this in verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seeing lying visions, therefore I'm against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord precisely because they have misled my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smeared with white walls that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall in a storm a stormy wind break out and when the wall falls it will not be said to you where is the coating with which you smeared it and therefore the lord uh, the lord therefore says the lord god i will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end and i will break down the wall that you smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare when it falls you shall perish in the midst of it and you shall know that i am the lord Thus I will spend my wrath upon the wall and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord. So Ezekiel's image is this. He's saying, listen, uh, you're putting up a wall of protection around the city. And it's shoddy. It's built badly. It won't take anything at all in order to break it down. But that's your only protection. And so rather than going to the people and saying, your wall is shoddy, it can easily fall. You get some paint and you paint over it and you make it look really nice and it looks strong. And you probably even pencil in little bricks to make it look like it's really bricks. And, and you, you give the impression that it's strong. But it's not. And see, that's what's happening in this this conflict between the teaching of Paul and the teaching of this bar Jesus Paul is no doubt speaking of the cross and he's speaking honestly to Sergius Paulus and he's saying listen Sergius Paulus you have no hope I know you're the governor I know you're the ruler I know people bow down to you I know that you're wealthy I know that you can command armies but, but you have no hope because you're not submitting yourself to God and none of us can. None of us can submit ourselves to God in a way of which He's worthy, that reflects His glory. In the same way that we were singing that song, I will worship. I know what we're saying, but I, I, I sing that song, frankly, with a spirit of repentance when I sing, I will worship with all of my heart. And I go, fat chance. You know. I mean, I want to sing it. He's worthy for human beings to say that to him. But, but we've got to be reflecting back, saying, I know the condition of my heart. That's why we worship the way that we do. That's why a worship service is set up in the way that it is. People say, Bill, why, why is Grace's worship service set up the way that it is? Because we're learning to how do we approach God? How do we approach him? We approach him by realizing his holiness. That's, 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 the, that's where we're going, if you will. To, to see his glory. But, but, but then I have to be honest. And I have to realize that I can't, in hypocrisy, 
whitewash my wall and say, all is well with my soul. It is in the sense that I'm in Christ, but I have to recognize that. So as I come into the presence of God, I begin to think through my sin and say, okay, I see my sin. And I lay that out before God honestly. So there's no pretense at this point. And then I think about Jesus and and his blood that covers my sin. And then in him I can stand before him and say, I'll worship. And so we enter into his presence like that. So you see this conflict. Paul is saying to Sergius Paulus, uh, you have no hope. Your only hope in this one who's come. Your only hope is in this one who's come and lived. He lived a perfect life. He lived a righteous life. And he did that as your, as your representative, Paulus. He did that for people who would trust in him. And so, so that's your hope. The righteousness of Christ, not your own. And, and then you have to deal with the penalty of your sin. And your only hope is in this one Jesus who's come and who's taken the sin of sinners upon himself. Trust in him, that's your hope. And you get the sense that this false prophet is saying, no, no, Sergius Paulus, you're not that bad. It isn't that bad. You have some hope. I mean, think about it. You're the governor, for goodness sakes. You're the governor. People bow down to you. You have all this wealth. You're a good person, Sergius Paulus. You help the poor. Notice your record on, on poverty issues. That's very good. Uh, and so you help the poor. You protect people. You protect people. You're not that bad. This really can't be for you. It, maybe it's for somebody, but it's really not for you. We have false prophets that live, I think, in our own souls, that speak in our own minds, that tell us things that we just want to hear. You might remember, in the, you can find this in 1 Kings chapter 22, two kings, Ahab and Jehoshaphat, uh, they were going to join together to fight a battle. Ahab wanted Jehoshaphat to join him in a particular battle. Jehoshaphat, the good king, Ahab, the bad king. Jehoshaphat said, well, shouldn't we inquire of the Lord until we, uh, before we do this? And, and, and Ahab said, sure. So he brings in a whole crew of prophets. And they say, go for it, guys. You're going to triumph and win. And Jehoshaphat says, is there any other prophet of whom we should inquire? And Ahab says, oh, yeah, there's this one, Micaiah. But, but he never says anything positive. So we don't like to listen to him. And so Jehoshaphat says, well, call him in. So... Micaiah comes in and tongue-in-cheek says, yeah, go fight the battle, you win. And Ahab rolls his eyes and says, I know that's not what you're thinking. Tell me what you're really thinking. And Micaiah says, if you go up, you'll be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And you'll be destroyed. Don't go. Ahab turns to Jehoshaphat and says, see, what did I tell you? He never tells us what we want to hear. There's false prophets at work all the time, all the place, that are saying to us, you're not that bad. That are saying to us, you don't really need all this, Jesus. Saying to us, no, this isn't really completely true. That you really can do this on your own to, 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 to appeal to our own, our own pride. Even as believers, the conflict is there. There's this voice that comes to say to us, you don't have to... To, to, to ask for forgiveness for, for, for reacting the way that you did. 
After all, you're a person and, and, and they came against you and, and you have rights. And so why should you ever think that you should go and try to be reconciled? You don't need to do that. That's their deal, not your deal. You don't need to do that. Or, or, or you know, this pornography that you're watching isn't as bad as the pornography that somebody else is watching. I mean, I mean you're, you're just doing this once every three weeks and, and it's on websites that you can actually get into. And so it's, it's pretty easy. It's not the real bad stuff. Uh, and, and, and really, your integrity. Why can't you compromise your integrity in this situation? Because you really do need that job. And, and if, you, if you, you do what you think is right uh, before God, and you confront the people or talk to the people that you have to talk to in order to, to carry out what you think is right before God, and you're going to get fired, but, but you need this job. Or, you know, that term paper that's, that, that, that's on that Internet site has been written for students just like you. Uh, and you're paying for it after all. I mean, you're not doing the work, but it is costing you forty nine ninety nine. And so, so, so really, it isn't like you haven't sacrificed in order to get that. And, and frankly, the other people are doing this, and if you don't turn in a paper that's really good, you'll never get into law school, you'll never get into medical school, you'll never get into graduate school. And so, so really, it's, you know, it's just the way things are done now. And it's okay if you date that, people, that person, even though he or she isn't a believer. I mean, after all, uh, maybe you'll convert them before they come to, and they'll come to faith. And then you can really, you'll be in. And you'll have converted a soul and have a spouse all at the same time. Uh, or just because you're unequally yoked in this engagement, uh, doesn't, that's not that bad. I mean, it's not like you're marrying a pagan. Uh, it's, they're just not there yet. How many things, how many false prophets rattle our cage and tell us peace when there is no peace and sort of just whitewash over everything? And John comes and he says, I want to make straight paths. I want to prepare the way of the Lord. You know how we may prepare the way of the Lord? Yeah, we prepare the way of the Lord by calling you to repentance, by calling you to turn from the falseness, by calling you to call from the lies. And he says, that's the way the mountains shrink, the valleys fill. That's the way the roads go straight. Because in order to do that, you must deal with reality. You must deal with truth. Truth about yourself, truth about God. Other than that, we're not repenting. We're just simply repainting. Right? We're just simply painting over the outside. And, 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 and it looks really good. And Christians, we have to be really careful with this. We spend so much energy repainting all the time. How do I repaint that smile on my face? How do I repaint that holy look? How do, I, how do I put on this particular air in this particular situation when in fact it's all false? And we have to get down and, and deal with real truth. Now the great thing that we see here in this, in this particular situation is that the power of God, the power of God's word Wins the power of God's word is victorious in this situation. Uh, notice how this uh, how this passage ends. Um, verse uh, eleven, Paul says this to the false prophet Elymas. He says, "And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time." And so he gives us a living illustration. He's saying, "This one who thought himself to be pro- a prophet is actually blind. Don't listen to him." Don't follow the blind, unseeing prophet. Here it is in your very eyes. 
And so immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed. Now this is a very interesting sentence. This sentence doesn't go at all the way I thought it was going to go. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. I, think, I was thinking it would read this. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the false prophet going blind. And he didn't want to go blind because he thought, oh no, if I follow him, I'll go blind like him. And, and therefore, I'm going to believe because obviously whatever Paul has in his bag of tricks is more powerful than what Elimus had in his bag of tricks. But that's not what it says here. The sentence is this. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The word of God is more powerful than the false prophet's words and bags of tricks. The word of God. And so you see, how do we come to repentance? We read the word of God. How do we come to repentance? We meditate upon the word of God. How do we come to repentance? We see what the truth is in the scripture. How do we bring others to repentance? We tell them the truth in love. Not a, a way of, of making ourselves look better or not because we're angry with them and we've, well, we've got something on them. But because it's the truth. And so in love we come and we give them the truth. And we trust in the power of the word of God working by his spirit in our lives and people's lives. To overcome the falseness and well up within us truth so that we can turn from and turn to turn from darkness to light turn from satan to god turn from unbelief to belief turn from from following our own ways to turn to trusting in christ and trusting in christ alone because you see where this path is leading is to jesus for he is the very one in whom we must trust. You remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And after breaking it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, our Lord Jesus took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this cup to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat of this cup, drink of this cup and eat of this bread, the apostle tells us, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. And that declaration is, is to declare that this is our hope. There is no peace apart from him. If I think there's peace in any other way, then him, I'm listening to a lie. There's only peace in him. Let me ask you to bow your heads. And I'm just going to walk us through a time of prayer. Nothing fancy smancy. I'm not going to manipulate you. Just, I just want you to, to begin to pray. I want you to pray. But first, if you will, just asking God, what lies are you listening to? What false prophets are in your own heart? or around you saying peace in areas where there isn't peace telling you just what you want to hear and enabling then you to live in such a way that is not pleasing to God what are those what are you compromising 
Is it in the area of pride? Is it in the area of a relationship with another? Is it in uh, something at work? Is it something at school? Is it uh, something in your own fantasy life? Is it something that just feeds your pride, causing you to find security where you shouldn't find security in your own strength, in your own righteousness, in your own abilities. And let me ask you just to lay these out before God. Very honestly, you may not have been willing to face these lately for fear you'd have to do something about it. Just lay them out before God and say, God, I know these things are there and I know they're contrary to that which pleases you. And then just very honestly, seek the Lord and ask him to help you to enable you to turn away from these and to turn to him. For some it may be that you've resisted Christ as your Savior and Lord and what you're turning away from is everything to turn to him. For others it just might be a lack of love, just Father in heaven, we know there's opposition to the truth. We know it as we share that with those who do not believe. Many of us can even remember our own opposition to truth before we believed. So I pray you would overcome that opposition in the world so that as we share the gospel with people that that your word would be more powerful than the opposition. And people would believe because they would be astonished at this great news. Father, too, in our own lives, I pray that we would stop listening to that which is false. Stop listening to the, the lies of pornography, the lies of lying, the lies of dishonesty, the lies of self-righteousness, the lies of laziness, the lies of thinking that I really don't need to do Bible study because I'm already too busy, the lies of whatever lies. And you cause us to turn from them. And as we do, we'll see mountains shrinking and valleys filling and roads becoming straighter. That we may know you deeper and and trust you more completely than we ever have before. May that be true, God, of us individually and us as a community of believers. And may that become known so that others may trust in you as well. So I pray even now, God, that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that would enable us to see Jesus I pray that he be as close to us as this bread and juice is, even as we eat it, that he would be as close to us 
as one who dwells within us. And we have great confidence that you've accepted us. That you've forgiven our sins. That you live within us. That we're numbered among those who are being sanctified. And that even now, you're working in us your holiness and your righteousness. Father, meet us here. Jesus, accompany this table with your presence that by faith we may know that we've been with you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.